Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com. Follow along on social media, such as LinkedIn, or you can sign up for our newsletter, which we have a link in the show notes. So today we are going to be talking about retirement. Mm. We don't often talk about what happens when people stop working on our podcast. I don't know that we've really talked about it very much at all. We mostly talk about what happens when people are currently working. Yeah. But in this instance, we are going to talk about a way that you can start planning for a better retirement by thinking about social aspects of your retirement. Okay. Social aspects. Interesting. Yes. So before we get going, I have a question for you. Yes. And the question is, what do you think will be the hardest thing for you when you retire someday? Oh, it's so hard, I think, to think about when you're far from it. Yeah. Because I'm just sitting here thinking like, well, it sounds glorious to like just have full freedom all the time. Yeah. But I'm sure that when you actually get to that phase, you're thinking maybe there's some, you know, thing. Well, one, I think there's people have challenges thinking like they're towards end of life. Like now I'm not working. Like, what does that mean? There's all of that. So I think that might be, I feel like the age component and like where you are in your phase of life could be really hard. Um, but then when I'm actually not actively working, I think I will have a hard time trying to not like overfill my schedule with random stuff just to continue being busy. Like I Mm -hmm. think I can, I can see that sometimes with like my dad, like I feel like he might just be filling his, he like, he could just fill his time like with just a bunch of random stuff and then never actually have time to do something that's like fun. And I'm afraid that I could maybe get to that point. Yeah. I was thinking something similarly actually, which is that I might feel like I am losing part of because both of us have high career identities, I think. Mm-hmm. Losing kind of part of who I am and what I do. And then people ask what you do. And you're like, well, I used to do. What are, like, what do I do now? Like, who am I? So I think part of the identity piece could be a challenge. But part of that is then, like, if you're scrambling to find a new identity. Like, I would feel concerned that I would try to, like, lock down a new thing. Like, now I'm, like, a book club person or something. And, like, maybe that's not actually what I want to do. Like, I think mm. I need to really premeditate the next chapter. So I'm not just scrambling like, well, I got to be Find something. something. So it's yeah. similar to what you're saying um, that you don't want to just be like haphazardly adding things to your schedule without being more thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a big one, but I think also like what you said about the identity piece is interesting because I do think we put a lot of value, you and I in our like career identities But I think there's also like a societal influence there Yeah. that, you know, I think in other countries and cultures, that's not always the way people think about work. Um, So I wonder, like, I would just be curious. I mean, I know we're going to talk about retirement and some of the research that you've read. I don't know if it's done cross-culturally, but I would be curious if like in other cultures where maybe work identity isn't seen as, as valuable as it is in the United States. Like if the, what people think about when they get towards retirement is different. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question to answer, and it certainly would, I think, vary cross-culturally. This uh, data was not collected across countries. It was only collected in one country context. So I can't, but I think you're right. Like, it probably would vary across, 
you know, different nations and how they think about work and how work is, I think people get meaning from work like mm -hmm. across country context, but the extent to which they have less developed personal lives, mm -hmm. and I think would be different. And also like that question that you mentioned, I feel like I always see these memes of like, you come to the US and people say, so what do you do? And like, mm -hmm. that's not as common of a question in like every culture. Like yeah. where you first meet someone that you ask them about their job, that's not the same. So like you might get some fulfillment from your job and work might still be important to you, but it's not like so central to everyone's identity that you ask about it in the same way. Yep. And so that might change the way you think about retirement a little bit than in countries where your work identity is super central to who you are and you're used to people always asking you about what you do. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and this actually took place in a European context. Mm. Um, so it was not in a U.S. context. But similarly, like, I do think, um, you know, there are lots of places all around the world that, you know, have high career identity or that put a lot of um, stake in that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about, well, what can we do to make sure that some of the issues that we both brought up uh, are actually accounted for. So there are three takeaways that I want to just walk through a little bit. And the first is that for some outcomes, social support or feeling socially connected is more important than being financially stable during retirement. Not to say that financial stability is not important, but there are certain outcomes, well-being related outcomes, that social identity um, management is actually really important for. So that's one, so just talking about the social aspects of things. Um, the second piece that I wanna bring up is that it's really important to focus on maintaining current social ties. So it's not so much about moving from one thing to another, but part of it is about maintenance. And um, not maintenance to individuals, but maintenance to groups that you already have a social identity in. Hmm. So groups actually play a very important role. And then the last is that growing connections to new groups, not necessarily new people, but new groups is also very, very helpful um, for maintaining this social stability. And, and then these aren't really takeaways, but I'm going to give kind of a roadmap of like, what can you do to make sure that that happens? So when you say groups are like you said, I'm going to be a book club person, like those kinds of groups, like it's, yeah. it's more like some sort of organization outside of like not a work organization, but like some sort of community that people are part of. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's more or less thinking through collectives of people that you could get an identity from so mm -hmm. a book club will be one but like you could also think about like a church organization or a school organization or community organization or all of those things would have an identity associated with them I mean even if I guess you had like a friend group that had a particular so I remember um our neighbors had uh this group uh they have passed away several years ago but they were awesome and uh they were in their 80s and they had these groups of people in the area and you could join if you were over a certain age and they would just pick different restaurants of like different uh ethnicities foods hmm. and they would try them and like every month they had a dinner and they had a name for the group mm -hmm. and so even though it's not like 
you're not like a connoisseur of something. It was kind of like a foodie group yeah. of older people. So it's still like, it, it's still a little bit more formalized than just like a friend group. Like these yeah. are my friends from college that I hang out with and like I'm going to continue to hang out with them. It's more, this is like a formal group. Like maybe some of them are my friends from college, but they, we are now a foodie right. group that does this foodie activity in this specific cadence. Exactly. So it, it's something that you, it's not just like, I talk to my daughter every week, which is not a bad thing. That's still a good thing. But it's, I feel a part of something mm-hmm. is a little bit different than I'm connected to someone. Yeah. That's kind of the idea. Cool. Okay. That makes sense. So let's dive in. Yeah. So, okay. So with regard to the social versus financial, a lot of research on retirement, unsurprisingly, has focused on the financial aspects of planning for retirement. And of course, that is extremely important. And if you are living in poverty or unable to pay your bills, that would be like a Maslow's basic needs covered, right? Like that Mm -hmm. would supersede your social um, connections. But in the event that you've done enough planning that you're financially stable to some degree, there are some other aspects that become as important to you in terms of predicting things in your retirement. Um, And so one of those things is your satisfaction with retirement. Hmm. So if you're more socially connected, you tend to anticipate, well, in this study, they're going to show that when you prepare to be socially connected, you anticipate being more satisfied. Mm -hmm. When you're more socially connected, you can be more satisfied. And um, you're more likely to report thriving. Mm. So thriving is another, um, you know, outcome that you might think about in terms of, okay, again, if you're living, you know, in poverty, you're not going to say that you're thriving. But if you're, you know, above a certain, um, you know, you have some level of financial security, being socially connected helps you feel like you have more subjective well-being, optimism, you feel like your life is going well and that things are are productive for you. So it's really important to think about, um, I think a lot of times people plan for retirement only financially. Yeah. And they don't think about the other aspects of their lives. And this research is starting to show, okay, well, that's great, but you also need to attend to other aspects of retirement. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, right, like, again, assuming your basic financial needs are met and you're not like stressing out that in five, if you live five more years, like things are going to go bad, right? Mm -hmm. If you're like stable and comfortable, then like whether you're overly wealthy or not, doesn't matter as much if you are able to do things that you like and enjoy with people that you like and enjoy. If you are just sitting at home in your giant mansion and like the only people you interact with are the people that like you pay to like do your gardening, that's not going to be fulfilling. So the money piece is like not relevant and almost like just kind of goes away in relevance. And then the social component and like how you're living your life makes sense to matter a lot more so that you've got something that's still fulfilling and engaging, et cetera. Um, Because if you're just... Yeah, alone with your money. That's obviously yeah. not going to be helpful. Right. And that's kind of what they're trying to highlight is that a lot of the research has go- gone towards financial planning. They're not trying to say don't financially plan. Like they are clearly recommending that financial planning is a good thing, but that this social planning is also very important. So um, moving forward from that idea that you might be more satisfied and well if you also plan socially and not just financially. How do you do that? So what they did was they um, did two different studies, one where they put people through just this program, which they're calling Groups for Retirement. Um, I think the name could use a little work, but that's just me. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, they put um, 
people through this program and then looked at whether before and after the program how their outcomes had changed. And then they did another study where they actually compared people to people who were in a financial planning program to see which outcomes changed more than the financial planning program, which is what I just talked about. So um, it's not just in comparison to like this or nothing, it's also this in comparison to financial planning. Mm -hmm. um, so the first part that I talked about was that it's important to maintain social connections to groups that you're already a part of. So this could include staying in contact with your coworkers. Mm. So I think a lot of times people think that when their work identity, you know, when their work is done and that identity is kind of done with, that they just sort of leave that behind. And maybe that might be a group, I mean, if you're not close with your coworkers and you're not interested in keeping in touch with them, maybe that might be a group that, you know, you don't really want to keep in touch with. But if that was a group that, you know, brought you joy, there's no need to get rid of that group. So one of the things that they do in this program is starting to think about who are your existing group connections, what are the group identities that you hold, not just like, so they wouldn't have you map, like if you have a, a daughter or son, they wouldn't have you map like, oh, my daughter I'm in contact with. They're really interested in what groups, mm -hmm. like I was talking about before. So the first part of this planning process is really thinking through how to maintain existing relationships. And the way that they do that is by having you actually write out and map out visually all the groups that surround you. Mm -hmm. And then they have you come up with plans to maintain or accelerate those connections during retirement. That's interesting. So like, and I can see how even like from a professional perspective, if you are not necessarily, maybe you keep in touch with coworkers. Like I think about my mom and people that she's worked with that have retired, like some, she sees some of them still, mm -hmm. um, keeps in touch with some of the people that have retired already to an extent. And I mean, that's been happening to her for, you know, decades at this point, like people that have retired a lot later, they would still maybe yeah. invite them to like happy hours or whatever. Um, so that is interesting. Cause I've definitely seen that, but also I'm thinking about like for us in our profession, we've got like our professional society, PSYOP, and you see people that maybe have retired from academia but might still attend the conference or might still do a little bit here and mm -hmm. there. So there's like something about maintaining that relationship, even with a professional group that you're not necessarily a professional in anymore. You're like now a, a graduate of that space, right? And yeah. But the, I think mentorship um, relationships form that way. So then you're now in these groups, but you've got different types of relationships. You contribute in a different way mm -hmm. um, that I think it still be very meaningful and impactful for both the people that are still working, but then also for the retired individuals. So yeah. I feel like there's something really interesting in the professional space and how you keep in touch there. Um, but then the exercise of grouping, like mapping your other groups, I think that's really interesting. And I actually wonder if there's, this is like such a sidebar, but I wonder a little bit if there's some of this practice that could be helpful for like empty nesters mm. as parents are moving into a phase yeah. where their children aren't at home and they don't have to like run around with children's activities and see their friends at those activities as much. Yeah. So now there's going to be like different groups yeah. and like maybe some of their identity is not going to be as much of a parent, but something else. And so it's almost like I can imagine if you took the whole lifespan of a person, a person that chooses to be a parent there's probably a phase when you go into this empty nester that's almost like pre-prep for retirement because mm -hmm. now you're not just focusing on your kids. Now there's, you have to come back to focusing on things that might be good for your identity. And then mm -hmm. that can translate as you go into retirement. 
Yeah, completely agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's really anytime you're going through a social identity transition, maybe it could be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think that people kind of take for granted that their existing relationships will continue. But as you're changing your own scenario, your schedule's changing, et cetera, they talked about how sometimes there are shifts in your relationships. Um, and you may have more time to invest in those relationships. And so being kind of conscious about how you're spending your time because you might spend the same amount of time connecting with those individuals and put your time towards, like we were saying, like just some random thing and not thinking about, oh, well now I have some free time. Let me dedicate some extra time to these groups that I ha I'm in right now that are important to me. So I think that from that perspective, um, this idea of really being conscious about, well, who am I connected to? What groups am I connected to? And how can I make sure that I'm maintaining my connection to them. Um, and that's called social identity continuity. Mm -hmm. So as you're moving through this transition, you want to continue a baseline level of connection to those groups. And that makes sense because then it's not as big of a shift in a transition either. So this continuity can be really important because you're not like suddenly there's just like an end date and all of these social connections are done or like minimized and now you're starting a whole new phase. Like that seems aggressively stressful. Yeah. So having some continuity from your working life to your non-working life could be really important. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so this phase is really all about mapping your existing group connections to find areas where you can further develop or grow those connections um, and how you're gonna really like nourish those group memberships to support your identity change. They also talked a little bit about how you might be able to lean on some of those groups who already know you. It might not be as easy to lean on groups who you're new to, but those groups who already know you, if you are experiencing some of those things around retirement, you mentioned uh, people who some like come to conferences sometimes and um, still have, they've retired, but they're still like around in the field. They get a lot of support from people who they've known in the field for a long time in making that transition as well. Mm -hmm. So staying connected to those groups and really thinking about how to nourish those connections and then also can they help you with some of those um, transition feelings that you're having is also important. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so the third piece here is about growing these new connections. Um, and so the new connections are, again, about community organizations. So maybe becoming a volunteer somewhere um, about growing connections. I mean, it could be that you have a family or a set of family members who you've fallen out of contact with and you want to see yourself as part of that family group again. That could be something. Um, you could also think about, you know, how to connect to, like we said, spiritual organizations or school-related organizations. You know, there's a whole slew of different groups that you might connect with. Um, and basically, the next part is not just thinking through your existing connections, but planning to create new group memberships and thinking about and actually concretizing, like, doing research so not just saying like well it would be nice to join a book club or it would be nice to join a meetup group that likes to go walking or whatever but actually sitting down and looking for what those groups are in your area and making concrete plans for i'm going to join these three groups and i'm going to sign up on this day and they'll meet at this time so you actually plan out exactly what you're going to do and when um because they don't want you to leave with this vague sense of oh yeah I'd like to do this or I'd like to do that and then you don't end up doing mm -hmm. it 
Yeah. I mean, kind of like what we do and everything that we, any Mm -hmm. speaking engagement training, whatever that we have, like we want people to map out exactly what their action is, put it on their calendars that they do it. It sounds like very similar, like making sure that they are doing exactly um, that they're following up with those groups or scheduling themselves so that it doesn't fall off. And cause it can get really easy. I imagine when you're not working to just like create like a weird like rut routine like okay well on weekends when I wasn't working this is what I would do and just keep doing what you would do on weekends but like Mm -hmm. now that's your whole life so clearly you can add things you can do things differently um and kind of create a new routine and schedule that would be more valuable than just like oh it's Saturday I have to clean I have to do laundry I have to do this and then I just relax because I'm getting ready for the next week now your life is different so that's not that shouldn't be your everyday routine yeah absolutely and so I think what they try to do is really get you to you know a lot of stuff we do you make a transition and the transition is happening and you're not really conscious of it you're just trying to get through it Mm -hmm. but you're not really thinking about being strategic about what's on the other side of it and so they're trying to get people out of this like well, I just want to readjust and get it over with and, and be retired. And then, like, now I'm retired. And that's sort of a destination in itself to, like, well, what do you want it to look like? And mm-hmm. who are, who are going to be your people now? So they're trying to get people to be more conscious about that. And you mentioned troubleshooting. The last piece um, of the program is doing just that. Okay, what are going to be the challenges in developing new group connections? So maybe you're a really shy person and you're not good at actually getting yourself to show up or make friends, or maybe you're bad at follow through. Like you show up one time and you say, okay, that was nice. And then you kind of fall off and you don't keep attending whatever the group meetings are, or, you know, maybe you are a person that expects too much from those group connections and you need to calibrate your expectations. So what are some of the things that might be an issue or a challenge? Maybe uh, I've seen some of my parents, friends do this, like, Maybe you've told your children that you're going to babysit your grandkids four days a week. And while that sounded nice in the beginning, you need one of those days back because you have to go, you know, do something else. Um, You know, join a group that's of value to you. So really thinking about what are your activities going to be and then what's going to get in your way and coming up with practical strategies for overcoming those challenges. That's the troubleshooting thing is interesting because like you're right, like you might be you're going to try things, see what mm-hmm. you like. You might have your personal thing barriers in the way, but I think the babysitting example is an interesting one because I think it's also easy to focus on, well, what can you do to help other people since you're no longer working? Mm-hmm. Right. What are the things that, you know, like I want to feel valued and meet like, like I matter, even though I'm not contributing like, you know, financially in the way that I used to, to a mm-hmm. family in a way that I used to, whatever, but I think it's also probably easy to fall into a trap where then you're basically just doing free work. Mm-hmm. So like, is there a way, and of course spending time with grandchildren, I'm sure is wonderful and amazing yeah. and great, but like it is ultimately free work. Mm-hmm. And why don't you take some of your retirement to like, make sure that you are doing something that's making you personally happy and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And it could be that that is what you want that to be. Maybe it is full-time babysitting Mm -hmm. grandkids and that is what makes you so happy but I think that there's times where people where parents you know will fall into the situation they want to help their children and they're still in that phase but like the kids can handle it like you know obviously there might be certain scenarios where you have to step in and help because it's really difficult like I'm not I'm talking about like people that are there's no like medical problems there's no like financial Mm -hmm. major challenges or barriers for getting daycares or whatever like 
I think it's important to think about yourself a little bit too and taking that moment to think about yourself and what, what you actually want your day to day to look like and making sure you're not putting yourself in a situation where you're doing all this free labor because you feel almost like guilty or weird that you're not Mm -hmm. working anymore. So it's no longer like an excuse to be like, well, I can't help you clean your house because I have my own responsibilities. Now you might feel like I don't have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just add these other ones on and not actually do things that I'm making me very happy and fulfilled. Yeah, and I think they would probably argue that having multiple group memberships is important. So if your identity as a grandparent is important and being an integral part of that family unit is important, that's one identity. But you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You want to have multiple ways that you're seeing yourself and allow yourself to be more complex as a person. So, yeah, if you're starting to spend too much time in one arena, you might be neglecting other parts of yourself that maybe when you were working, those parts of yourself were getting activated, right? Oh, I see myself as competent I can have conversations with adults I could be innovative I can mm-hmm. you know and it could be that there are certain areas that are getting over indexed on in retirement because you're not being as thoughtful about that mm-hmm. so that's called social identity gain so really it's thinking about the continuity and the gain um, and I will say something that's kind of interesting about this particular program is that initially this program was run over the course of six different modules And um, so it took, you know, a bit of time. It was facilitated over a six-week period, and there was um, a short module each week where they would go over each of these things, each of these steps that I just went through, including an introduction which teaches people about what we kind of went over in the beginning of the podcast. Why why are social groups important as opposed to individual connections? And why why are social connections useful in addition to financial um, planning and things like that? Um, what they did for this um, study was that they condensed it to a 45-minute online training. So even just with the 45 minutes that folks did, they saw these changes in their anticipated retirement satisfaction, anticipated thriving. Um, so they saw these like positive outcomes associated with participating in something very, very short. Um, which I think is kind of interesting. And they saw increases on a variety of different outcomes, um, including like slight decreases in retirement anxiety, um, feelings of control over retirement. So this very quick thing did something, right, compared to doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And then compared to financial planning, um, it had similar effects, but only better effects in terms of like the more well-being related outcomes, right? Um, So... um, if you went through a more elongated program and really spent an extensive period of time planning for this, or if you have a significant other planning for this with them, mm-hmm. I think could be very helpful too. You might see even stronger effects than just this kind of quick intervention that they did. It's interesting to see such a big impact of something so short, but I think I'm very curious because obviously neither of us are nearing retirement age, really our parents mm-hmm. are nearing retirement age. Um, but I'm curious about how much conversation is had around some of these topics. Like I do think that partners, spouses often mm-hmm. probably talk about it because they're thinking about the financial component and then mm-hmm. maybe that spurs discussion on like what they might want to do. Yeah. But I don't feel like I hear anything like in my workplaces or clients workplaces that they talk about retirement or like, you know, giving support to employees on like mm-hmm. how to go through that. Like I'm sure like AARP probably does. Sure, like there's yeah. groups that do, but like it doesn't feel like as mainstream of a conversation mm-hmm. maybe. Um, so maybe even just the fact that 
people are like, oh, wait, like I should think about this. Like this could be really cool. Like this could make my life more interesting and Mm -hmm. fulfilling if I think about these social groups. Like even that 45 minutes, that's almost feels like an awareness of like this idea of planning it that people just probably don't even get exposed to. So that, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, And so maybe it's something that we just need to talk about more and maybe something organizations should think about like providing resources for like help your employees plan for retirement not just the financial stuff, right? But here's yeah. like, don't let's just have sessions on 401ks, but like let's have sessions on like, how do you prepare for, you know, the next phases of your lives? Yeah. yeah. And we know that if you plan in a group and you make a commitment more publicly, you're more likely to stick to it. So if you're planning with a group of colleagues and you're all thinking about retiring, that might help you to be more dedicated to the goals that you set. And similarly with a significant other, you know, it might help resolve some disagreements if you both recognize the importance of doing it. So I think, you know, if you have one person who's more introverted, one person who's more extroverted, or people who are just more like, I'm tired, I've worked my whole life, I just want to stay home and I don't want to do anything right, um, that you could grow an understanding that, okay, you know, we might not feel like doing this, and maybe there's more need for this in some people than other people, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure it varies just like anything else. But that, you know, it can't be that you just ignore this aspect of your life, that you understand that it's part of your health Mm -hmm. in order to maintain these social group connections. Yeah, I think that... I think that's very true. And it's good to have those conversations. And to your point, like most partners have like some varying levels of social interest, Mm -hmm. you know, even they probably don't agree all the time, but like making sure that they're on the same page. And maybe it's like, okay, the more introverted spouse, like doesn't participate in every group, but then they do a couple groups together or whatever. And obviously they have different interests. They don't have to do every group together either. Right. Um, But like maybe one of them does stay home more because that's what they want. But like, making sure that they still participate in some group things, um, I think is going to be really important. But then I also think like that's just kind of got my wheels spinning around like things that employers can do. Mm-hmm. Like if you're having these kinds of conversations, I feel there's like, two major benefits for a company um, and for the employees around this type of planning at, at work, like having these mm-hmm. conversations at work. It's like one if you have a group of employees that are thinking about retirement or like getting close to that and they're going through this together, you're now identifying people that might be interested in retiring and having conversations around knowledge transfer, which is a huge miss in most Mm -hmm. companies, right? Where people leave and it's just like that, that memory of what happened here for the past 20 years that this person was involved with is just gone. Yeah. So now you're being like, Oh wait, like all of these people are considering retirement. Um, Let's think about how we can integrate with like, maybe it's not like the company. I don't think the company should be involved in like figuring out when people are going to retire and like, you know, being and necessarily having like lists of people. But even if in those sessions, there's conversation of like, if you are going to retire, like think about here are some things that would be helpful for your colleagues, this knowledge transfer stuff. So then like those people that are going through the session can be learning and thinking about that part too. Mm -hmm. But then if you're creating a community of people that are retiring from the same company, like one, they now have that social continuity, right? Because this group can become a group after mm-hmm. what they're yep. as they're going through. You know, some of them might retire earlier than others, but then it's like you're working through that transition together. So now you've created a unique group here, but they're also a group that part of their tied identity is this organization. Yeah. So from a company perspective, it's like you now have this these quote alumni yeah. that are out there that are still connected. That probably because they've gone through this and have this experience, might be more willing to like mentor right. or 
are continue being answering questions. What's in that knowledge transfer gap? Like as people yeah. discover it. So it's not like just a cut off, like they're now yeah. gone and we never talk to them again, but they're still part of this like community of alumni that we can, you know, use for mentoring and whatever for the people that are still interested in engaging to some degree. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's a really interesting benefit that a company could see. Um, so might be worth the investment for sure. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, you know, universities have tapped into the idea of alumni for a long time. People are no longer there, but are enthusiastic about their experience and want to give back. And there are mentoring programs and activities and outings and events. And so, like, companies might think about engaging with their retirees in a similar way like alumni because it also becomes good brand management, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a group of people who are still engaged with the brand talking about the brand that wouldn't have otherwise. So there's probably a win for the business in doing that too. And I've seen some companies think about alumni as even people that leave companies, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like this person has left the company, but they're still an alumni. So they're invited to like certain alumni events. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know if they do that with retirees too, but like that would be, if you're already doing that, like bring them into that mix and now you've got this group. And if you're not doing that, like I get that it can get a little bit more complicated when people are leaving for other companies, but like, the retiree bucket, like they're not leaving for other companies. They're leaving and they're theoretically, hopefully leaving on decent terms. They're not, um, they're not like going off to like a competitor or whatever. Like they could be a really good resource. Yeah. Um, and then again, you're now giving this community. It's also a good thing for the community at large. So wherever you are, if you're a, an organization that has like a, like a physical location in a, in mm-hmm. a place, like, then you're now creating community within that community. And yeah, I know we've talked about like corporate social responsibility before and things like that. Like it would be almost tying into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And giving communities of people, more people who are connected, have more energy, feel like they're thriving, happier. So then that also infuses community, you know, maybe they're more likely to okay, you joined an alumni group from an organization, now you're more likely to volunteer at a local animal shelter or something, you Mm -hmm. know, like, um, so it might also get the ball rolling on that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, so that's, um, those are really the takeaways, just being mindful about maintaining your social connections. People often think about financial concerns instead of social concerns. Um, So making sure that you keep that top of mind and also giving kind of a concrete step-by-step process of, how to maybe make that happen. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing this. I don't think we really talked that much about retirement before. So yeah, I, well, one, I'm like, Ooh, I should start planning my groups. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm a little bit far from it, yeah. but I'm like, I'm, you know, that continuity, <laughs> what are my groups going to be? Um, <laughs> by the time you retire, the groups will be like people going to Mars. <laughs> like, <laughs> Martians. Oh God. I hope not. <laughs> I hope that, um, well, yeah, I mean, it is still a long ways away, but it, I don't know if we're going to be on Mars yet. Just true. But maybe people that are interested in Mars realistically yeah. <laughs> versus Mars where we are today. Fans, fans of Mars. But yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a really fascinating topic. And I mean, in some ways it feels really relevant because we know our parents are kind of approaching that too. Yeah. So like thinking about how to support them, making sure they know this is also important. Yeah. I um, want them to read this article. They're going to listen to this episode. Yeah. Hi mom. Hi dad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's important and it's, it's definitely good to think about and plan for and make sure you're ready for. So you don't have that like stark moment, which I think like the reason why I brought up the, um, 
the empty nester things because I feel like I I saw that with my yeah. my parents too. Um, but then I feel like they just got super social, so they like really bounced into it the way in a good mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Um, but and I was surprised. I was like, whoa, where are all these social groups coming from? I didn't know you had yeah. these. So um, maybe they'll maybe they're already like on the right track. My parents, I don't know, but. Either way, I think it's important to think about because you see these transitions and they can be really hard. And if you don't have a plan, I think it just makes it a lot harder. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. Uh, Thank you for listening to it. And thanks to everyone out there. Yes. And if you have any questions, please feel free to send us a note at contact at workerbeing.com. Check out our website at workerbeing.com. Find us on social. And as I mentioned before, we have an awesome newsletter you can sign up for in the show notes. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson.